if you have something that you think benefits the world, I think you have a moral obligation to try to bring it to more people. who's looking to have more purpose in your life. If you're saying to yourself, I don't want to just go to work. I want to do my life's work. This is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. How do you figure out how to take your passion and turn it into a profit? Life is too short not to wake up every day excited. You've got something that you've got to share with the world. I'm positive. That's why you're here. The show will not just give you inspiration, but some real life tools that you can start to take some real action week after week so that you can not just go to work and build someone else's dream. You can do the thing that you've always truly wanted to do. Make yourself the happiest version of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so happy that you're here. 2018, this is going to be your year. Thanks to BioClarity for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get started on healthier habits with your skin. Just go to BioClarity.com and get 15% off your entire first purchase, plus shipping is free when you buy a routine. And it comes with a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee, but you need to enter my code, DREAMJOB. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Skillshare is offering my listeners a limited-time offer of two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash DreamJob. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash DreamJob to get two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash dreamjob. That's linkedin.com slash dreamjob. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to Ring for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash dream job. That's ring.com slash dream job. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Um, I'm really excited for today's podcast. We're going to dive in in one second. But first, I want to throw out a really cool idea. So one of our listeners said last week, I was like, how can we get more souls to hear this message, to hear this podcast, to be taking more action, doing the things that they want to do? Because I feel like it's resonating and I just want more people to feel what we're all feeling and to get busy doing those things that make them happy and feeling more fulfilled and purposeful. So I asked you guys on Instagram, people gave me some great ideas. And somebody said, why don't you start these like podcast listening clubs. like Just like people have book clubs, why don't we all all over the world come together in our communities and listen every week or every other week or whenever we can get together and talk about the episodes and encourage each other. And I thought that's such a great idea. So wouldn't that be cool? Would you guys want to do that? So you can decide to do this however you want, but you can make like your own Don't Keep Your Day Job listening club, right? You guys could get together. And I thought it would be really cool if you would give each other like a chance every time you meet to talk about what you're doing. And then you could brainstorm with one another, give each other ideas. It would be like your own little mastermind. And I think it's helpful for accountability when you just know you have a group of people you're going to check in with and you're going to be able to report back on what action you're taking, what's working, what's not working. Also, it's cool because it it gives me a way of connecting more with everybody because then I can support you even more. I thought it would be neat. I can post every single week some discussion questions that I could suggest that you can talk about in your groups. And then I could do things just for the the pod. The, let's call these little pods, right? These podcast pods. I could do things just for you guys, right? Like maybe if I see that certain pods are really active and engaged and I keep hearing from the leaders of these different pods that things are really working and going well, maybe I could do just like a Skype session or a Zoom video hangout with all of you in that pod and give you some feedback. Also, I could ask the leaders of these different groups whenever they feel like it once a week or every couple weeks to send me sort of what's going on. And if there's somebody in the group that's doing really cool stuff, maybe they could kind of let me know and I would have more of a closer ear to what's going on. And I think it would just be cool to bring together all the people who might be in your town who are listening to this podcast, who are really like-minded, who are creative, who are wanting to be doing more of what they really love. And and to have friends like that, it's such a precious thing. And I think that we rise by lifting each other even more than we can on our own. So why don't we start our own 
don't keep your day job group in our hometown. And I want to do stuff to support you. And I want to do giveaways just for the people who are doing these groups and part of being a part of this group. Because I, I think that we should reward action because we can think and think and think and think, but ultimately we've got to start doing and we got to do a lot in order to start seeing things grow. So I think creating for yourself ways of keeping yourself accountable and inspired and encouraged is really going to help a lot, especially looking into next year and 2019 being on the horizon. The more we can set ourselves up and, and be part of something like this, I think that we'll actually get the results that we want much faster. So two things, either go ahead and create your own group and then go onto Instagram and DM me and let me know that you created a group and tell me what city it's in and tell me your email address so I can keep in touch with you and I can support you and I'll, I'll notify you of ways that I can do stuff just to support these various groups. We can do some meetups, we can do some video sessions. And if you're having trouble and you want to be part of a group like this, I'll go ahead and I'm going to post a shared Google Doc on the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group so that people can put their name and email address and you can put the city you're in and then other people might join that Google Doc and you can find each other and you can start a group that way. So I want to do whatever I can to support you, but please let me know if you went ahead and started a group. I want to be doing a giveaway just for people who are part of these groups and I'm so excited to hear more about it. All right, so enough about all that. Let's dive into today's episode. So we're very, very blessed to have with us today Daniel Pink. He is so brilliant. You are in for such a treat. He's a best-selling author of award-winning books such as When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, which spent four months on the New York Times bestseller list, and it's on Amazon list of best books so far of 2018. His other books include the long-running bestseller, A Whole New Mind, and the number one New York Times bestsellers, Drive and The Book to Sell is Human. Each book is just so rich with these super interesting case studies and discoveries. You're going to get so many aha moments from each one, so definitely go ahead and check them out. You may have heard him or seen him before. He's been on NPR, PBS, ABC, CNN, and other TV and radio networks in the US and around the world. His articles have been in Fast Company, Wired, The New York Times, Harvard Business Review, and other publications. He also has an amazing TED Talk on the science of motivation, which is one of the 10 most watched TED Talks of all time with more than 20 million views. Guys, you have to go watch this after you listen to this episode. So before we get to it, let's just say a big thanks to one of our sponsors. Thanks to BioClarity for supporting our podcast. Your face is often your first impression and shows off everything it takes in, so feed it well. Treat it with products that are 100% vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free like BioClarity. BioClarity is this great, clean, and green skincare line that helps me get naturally glowing skin. It has this new ingredient called Floralux, which is a clever form of chlorophyll that nourishes the skin, soothing away blemishes, reduces redness, and makes your skin look more radiant. The number one thing I love most about BioClarity is the Skin Smoothie Moisturizer. I love being able to put that on in the morning and in the evening knowing that it's just going to give me that sort of extra glow. You can grow your glow with one of BioClarity's powerful plant-based products. The Clear Skin Routine is a three-step skincare regimen that rescues stressed skin, banishing bumps, and diminishing redness. They also have awesome new face masks like the Glow Getter Mask. It will leave your skin feeling smoother, softer, moisturized, and refreshed after just one use. And now, BioClarity can treat your whole body with their new products. Check out the Beauty Boost Beauty Supplement Twice Daily Skin Supplements that will naturally bring out your skin's radiance. Get started on healthier habits with your skincare. Just go to BioClarity.com, and my listeners will get 15% off their entire first purchase plus free shipping when you buy a routine and it comes with a hundred percent risk-free money-back guarantee but you need to enter my code dreamjob that's bioclarity.com and enter my code dreamjob okay without further ado please welcome the one and only daniel pink hey daniel thanks for being here kathy it's a pleasure thanks for having me reading your book and listening to your ted talk and listening to you on motley fool i just feel like <laughs> i'm i'm literally at the edge of my seat you have researched so much of what makes us tick, and I feel like so much of that is relevant. Before we get into it a little bit, I'm just curious if you can share with the audience, what has motivated you to want to look at human behavior in the way that you do? I guess it's more curiosity than anything else. And, and I tend to look at human behavior through a particular lens, and that's often the lens of work. And I think the reason I decided to do that, I, didn't, I wasn't even an affirmative decision. I sort of ended up doing it is that we're spending, you know, over half of our waking hours at work. And so work becomes this place where we can understand everything about human beings. Like, you know, as you said, what makes us tick? Where do we have conflicts? Why do we do what we do? How do we get stuff done? What stands in the way of getting stuff done? Uh, how is the work day organized? Why are we in so many stupid meetings? All these kinds of questions right, right. Uh, at the heart are really at the heart, end up giving clues about who we are as human beings. And I, I just find that endlessly interesting. 
It is. Now, one last question about you personally. Uh, So I know that you say like you went to law school and then you're not necessarily practicing. Did you ever have that day job and then leave it or no? Oh, absolutely. When I graduated from law school as one of three unemployed people in my law school class, (laughs) I worked in politics for several years, eventually Mm -hmm. became a political speechwriter. And then about 20 years ago, uh, I had a pretty decent speechwriting job and I quit. As your title suggests, I quit my day job and went out on my own. That was 20 years ago. And what made you do that? Huh. Well, a bunch of things. One was that I realized eventually that what I wanted to be when I grew up was a writer. And that was something mm. that I was nibbling at the edges of in you know the first three decades of my life. And uh, I realized what I wanted to do was write my own stuff. Uh, I also realized that I wasn't good at all at having a boss. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, my wife and I uh, had had our first kid. We had a you know a, a baby, and I was like, I gotta be able to have a little bit more discretion. I don't. One of the things I really didn't like was kind of sort of asking permission to go take a kid to a pediatrician, or kind of sort of asking permission, even having to tell people that really made my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. That all makes really a lot of sense. So you talked about you know having a boss and how that wasn't the best thing for your productivity, and I loved your TED talk. I think close to a billion people have loved your TED Talk. It's an amazing conversation and the data is fascinating. And you talk yeah. about like what really ultimately helps us be productive, what motivates us, what what brings out of us these you know ways of solving problems or actually creating incredible things. And I was blown away with what you said. You, you know, you talked about autonomy, mastery, purpose. Let's talk a little bit about that. What is it that actually motivates us? To getting the best results? It's a complicated question. It's not one thing, it's multiple things. That as human beings are a mix of, of motivations. I mean, we have a biological motivation, right? We, we eat when we're hungry, we drink when we're thirsty, right? That's a very sturdy human motivation. We also respond very well to, in certain circumstances, to rewards and punishments. Many times, if you dangle a reward in front of somebody or threaten them with a punishment, they will behave in a predictable way because rewards and punishments do motivate us. But what I'm trying to convey in the book Drive is that we have actually a third drive here that we often neglect. And that is we do things because we like doing them. We do things because they are self-determined, not determined by other people. We do things because we like to get better at stuff. We do things because we want to make a contribution to the world. Uh, And that third drive uh, is, I think, really what makes us human beings. That is, other creatures on the planet have a biological drive and a reward and punishment drive, right? I mean, the whole carrot and stick metaphor comes from horses. And certainly every biological creature has, by its very nature, biological drives. But what makes us human, I think, is this third drive in that... You know, again, we want to do things that matter. We want to do things because they interest us. We want to do things because we're curious about them. We want to do things because they make the world a little bit better, because they help out a teammate, because they're an expression of who we are. And that third drive, I felt there's a rich body of scientific evidence showing that it, that those drives are powerful performance enhancers, but they're often neglected by companies who only take that two-dimensional view of human beings. Mm. Yeah, that's really fascinating because I feel like so many people listening right now are like trying to like shout through to their headphones and go, I totally feel this. I mean, so often when you're at a job, you're not feeling like you are the best version of yourself. You're not feeling right. like that the, the best stuff is, is necessarily coming from you and you're trying to access that. And so what can we do? What What is it that we can do to to sort of curate that environment for ourselves to pull out from within us? what we really have to offer to the world. How can we generate that and and those ideas so that we can actually perform better? Well, that's a very tough question. And and some of it isn't under the individual's full control. So one thing that one could do is do what I did and what many people have done, which is leap. Just set up your own shop. That idea of trying to be out from being self-determined, being out from under someone's thumb is a right. big impetus in people going out on on their own. So that's one possibility. So I, I've been self-employed for two decades now. Is it uh, a land of milk and honey? Do every day I wake up to a rainbow sprouting across my <laughs> garage office and unicorns running past my large windows? No. You don't? Uh, oh. I do not. Um, <laughs> but are some days a giant pain in the neck? 
are some days, you know, terrible. There's some days make me shake my head and wonder why I chose to do what I'm doing. Absolutely. There's no question about that. But for me, at least, compared to having a job where I have a boss, compared to having a job where I don't have that level of autonomy, compared to a job where, as you say very astutely, a job where I don't feel like I can be the best version of myself, this is absolutely preferable. So, so yeah. I think for some people, making that leap, giving up your day job is the right path. I don't think that's true for everybody, but I think it's true for yeah. a lot of people. And in some yeah. cases, that's the only alternative. It was hard yeah. for me to imagine a work situation where I could do the work that I wanted to do that was meaningful to me the way I wanted to do that within a structured, larger environment. Yeah. So now, on the other hand, it's possible that enlightened organizations can create the conditions and the circumstances where people can do really great work. And what that requires, though, is, again, back to this the set of design principles, which is one, you got to pay people well. So I don't want people to have the idea that, you know, we're motivated by this third drive of, you know, doing things that matter and learning and growing that we don't care about money. Of course, we care about money. So organizations, you know, who want to set up this kind of environment should pay people well, pay people very well, uh, at some level, take the issue of money off the table. So mm -hmm. we're focused on the work rather than on the money. Once you do that, I think that these design principles, which come from, in part, from a field of psychology called self-determination theory, which was minted by two brilliant social scientists, Richard Ryan and Edward Deasy, uh, about 20, 30 years ago. And what it suggests is that what we want to do is we want to have a workplace where we have some sovereignty over what we do, how we do it, when we do it who we do it with. So we're not right. micromanaged at some level, we're macromanaged. Uh, so we don't have somebody breathing down our neck the whole time. Uh, what else? Uh, mastery. Uh, mastery is our desire to get better at stuff, to make progress. And many workplaces, uh, people want to make progress, but they have no idea how they're doing. They don't have any feedback on any information mm. on how they're doing. So uh, a workplace where people can achieve mastery is a workplace where they're getting rich, robust, regular, information on how they're doing and some guidance about how to do it better um, mm -hmm. and both knowing that they can make progress and that they are making progress. Yep. And then finally is, is, is purpose, which is basically at its heart, essentially, do you know not only how to do your job, but why you're doing it in the first place? And does what you're doing make a difference in the world or make a contribution to someone else? And so if you can find a workplace that has those kinds of design principles that pays you well and fairly that isn't controlling, that offers you some sovereignty over the key aspects of your work, that yep. allows you to make progress, that allows you to make a contribution or to make a difference. And that's a great job. And there are yep. and those jobs exist out there. That's but, right. Um, but on the other hand, many of us have to build those jobs ourselves. Yep. All right. I'm going to hit pause on this real quick so we can give a shout out to one of our sponsors. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or build your own business, Skillshare will keep you learning in 2018 and beyond. I love learning on Skillshare. One class I started taking recently was some watercolors just for fun. And then there was a whole class on, a, on starting a Facebook group, which is so relevant to what we're talking about. And I get asked about this all the time. I'm always looking at ways to level up my skills. And this is a perfect way to fill any free time I have to learn something new. And it inspires me, it inspires me to feel like I have another thing that I can be busy working on instead of twiddling my thumbs, waiting and hoping something happens. I can learn something new and then take more action with it. You can take classes in social media marketing, there's photography, web design, you name it, they have it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Don't Keep Your Day Job listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash dreamjob to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. Now, you know, the reason I started this podcast was not necessarily because I want everyone to quit their job, because I also talk about how important it is to set up a runway, not just leap, but build a bridge, you know, totally. make sure that you're having a side hustle. And but also ultimately, the reason I, I started the show was to help people do the work that they just felt inspired by, which means 
don't keep mm-hmm. your day job. Don't keep the job that you don't like, but you could very well go work at a yeah. company that you really believe in their mission. And that could very well feel like so much purpose. Let's let's move on to another book, your most recent book, um, which is When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And I heard you on NPR. So if we zoom out a little bit, I'm wondering how this would apply to sort of these big life decisions like quitting your job or starting a new venture how does timing affect yeah. that is there an ideal time to do that i don't there's not a universal ideal mm-hmm. but once again the science gives us some principles to follow you know one of the things that i've become convinced of over the years is that more of us should be thinking like scientists you know scientists have half hypotheses and they test the hypotheses right they don't say i you know i'm certain 100% that everything works this way all the time right they test their hypotheses. So it's important to, to be a good observers of our own behavior and to have hypotheses and to test them. Now, when it comes to quitting a job, we do know a little bit. Uh, what we know is that people are most likely to quit a job on the first anniversary of having that job. Hmm. Second most common time they're likely to quit is on the second anniversary. Hmm. Third most common is on the third anniversary. So there's something about these temporal landmarks that often get us to move. And so one thing to think about is if you're thinking about quitting your job is, how are you going, you know, project yourself to your next work anniversary right. and ask yourself, how are you going to feel if you're in that job on that next work anniversary? And if you say, oh, my God, I'm going to be miserable, then you might want to start looking now. The other thing in terms of the quality of the job itself, that is it's a predictor, but it's also a useful guide for people is the ideal. And this goes back to some of the research in motivation is that the ideal job is both challenging and in our control. Uh, and it's important that we understand that it's both of those things. Mm-hmm. So imagine a job that is challenging, but not in your control. You're, you're going to burn out. Uh, or imagine a job that is in your control, but not challenging. You're going to be bored to tears. Mm-hmm. And so when a job that you have, when it's not both in your control and challenging, that's often a warning sign yeah. uh, that it might be time to leave. Now, again, I just want to make something super duper clear here about leaving jobs is that this is not, and you know, and you know this, and you've talked to your listeners about this, but it's really, really important. Leaving your job to go out on your own has to be a hard-headed, strategic decision. Mm-hmm. You have to think about it. You have to plan for it. It's not this kind of wild and woolly leap into right. a lake of self-actualization. So for me and my wife, we were very deliberate about that. Mm-hmm. I realized that I wasn't cut out to have a regular job. And so we said, all right, so Dan, why don't you go out on your own, see if you can make it. Uh, now, at the same time, my wife, who had a job, she was a lawyer at the Justice Department. She did not quit her job at the same time. Right. She did not give up her salary at the same time. She did not give up our family health insurance at the same mm-hmm. time. And I find that people who who go out on their own, they take calculated risks. They don't take stupid mm-hmm. risks. They're not like so risk averse, they don't move, but they're not so risk prone that they do something stupid. It has to be a calculated yeah. risk. I find this fascinating for multiple reasons. I couldn't believe some of the things you said about how it's more important to go to a doctor's visit always in the morning because people are sharpest. It's like, oh my gosh, there was amazing things that you talked about there. I couldn't even believe my ears. It's shocking. It's shocking. I'm glad you listened to that part because if you can avoid it, you should never go to the hospital in the afternoon. If you if you can avoid it, don't go don't go to the hospital. All right, in general, but um, not not always have that kind of full discretion. But if you have any discretion over when to schedule important it's doctor's crazy. appointments, uh, don't do them in the afternoon. I, I don't. Because what did you find in the in the research? Well, what the research tells us is actually where there's a lot of research on this issue of time of day and its effect on our cognitive performance, but. In the realm of healthcare, uh, among the things we know is, let's say, colonoscopies. Doctors find half as many polyps in afternoon exams as they do in morning exams for the same population. Crazy. So a doctor, you know, explores a colon at 2 p.m. and at, at 10 a.m. That doctor, she is going to actually perform differently at yeah. different times of day. Yeah. If you look at uh, anesthesia errors, this is a big one. Uh, anesthesia errors are four times more likely at 3 p.m. than at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is just one area yeah. um, where we see that our cognitive abilities don't stay the same throughout the day. They change. They change in predictable ways, and they can often change in pretty substantial ways. 
Yeah, and so I wanted to talk about this as it relates to our audience because we talk so much on the show about productivity, how to be more yeah. productive, and you talk about the different times of days and how you have a peak, you have a trough, you have a recovery. Yeah. Um, tell us about this and as it relates to our audience wanting to be more productive, what can they learn about that and how can they harness the timing so that they can actually be more effective? Okay, so... We human beings tend to move through the day in three stages, a peak, a trough, and a recovery. A peak, a trough, and a recovery. For most of us, about 80% of us, those of us who are morning people or in-between people, not hardcore night owls. Mm -hmm. Hardcore night owls are very different. That's about 20% of the population. They okay. have a much harder time. Uh, in fact, I think that's one reason why some people become self-employed is that they're owls operating in a large world mm -hmm. and they just can't deal. But for 80% of us, we move through the day pretty much in that order. Peak early in the day, trough in the middle of the day, recovery later in the day. And each of those stages, we have different levels, but also different types of cognitive performance. So during the peak, again, which for most of us is early in the morning, during the peak, we are most vigilant. That's the key point here. Mm -hmm. We're most vigilant. And what does it mean to be vigilant? Vigilance means we are able to bad away distractions. So that makes it for productivity, that makes it a good time to do what I like to call heads down work. You're in your office, you're focused, you're like writing, writing a report, writing anything, analyzing numbers, digging through data, formulating a strategy, you know, just things that require lockdown yep. focus. Yep. For the writers out there, I think writers know, I certainly as a, someone who's been writing basically most of my adult life, writers know the greatest enemy of writing is distraction. And so what you want to do is you want to do that kind of work, that heads down work at your period of maximal vigilance, which is the peak, which again, for most of us is the morning. For night owls, it's much, much, much later in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, trough, that's early to mid-afternoon, terrible time of day. We talked about the healthcare implications of it. You see decrements in performance across basically every domain Crazy. of performance. It's terrible. During that time, we should be doing our administrative work. Uh, answering our routine emails, deleting mm -hmm. our email newsletters, that kind of thing. And then filling out stupid reports, whatever. <laughs> uh, and then during the recovery, now the recovery is a very, very interesting time of day. That's again, for most of us later in the day and into the early evening. During the recovery, our mood goes back up. So our mood follows this pattern too. Our mood follows a peak trough recovery pattern. Uh, our mood goes back up during this recovery period. However, we're less vigilant. We're not as vigilant as we were mm -hmm. during, during the peak. But that's actually a potent combination. If we have a higher mood and less vigilance, uh, that makes it a good time for things requiring some amount of mental looseness, brainstorming, iterating new ideas, coming up with non-obvious solutions, uh, what psychologists call insight problems. And that's basically it, that we should be doing our analytic work during the peak, mm -hmm. our administrative work during the trough, and our insight work during the recovery. Yeah. And you had said something about how like that might be a better time to do creative work. So those of us who are listening, who are feeling so frustrated that we only have time for their side hustle in the evening, that might not be a bad thing, right? If it ends up being the stuff that requires mental looseness. So which would be sort of the iterative side of it. I mean, again, there's not a, there's not a perfect boundary between the, those two things, yep. but between insight work and analytic work. And it doesn't mean that, oh my God, I'm incapable of doing any analytic work mm -hmm. after you know 12.30 p.m. All the science is saying is that there are better times of days and worse times of Got days. It. And so if you're doing something at a non-optimal time, let's say you have a side hustle and let's say you have to go over your bookkeeping or your accounting or your strategy or something you know, very hard-headed, not purely administrative, but where you're really making important business decisions and you have mm -hmm. to go over it at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night for certain chronotypes that is, you know, morning, middle or evening, you're going to be better or worse at that time of day. And if you're worse at that time of day, then you can, you have to be much more deliberate. You should use things like checklists. You should take more breaks. Right, right, right. So we have a few more things to cover, but first let's take a quick ad break. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You could try posting on the job boards, but can you really be sure the right person will see that job? Instead, you can find the person who will grow your business with LinkedIn. As the world's largest professional network, people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover job opportunities. 
70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, their interests, and even how open they are to connect to new opportunities. This way, your job gets seen by more of the right people. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are open to new opportunities, so you can only reach them on LinkedIn. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. And businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. You guys, it's really, truly amazing. When I wanted to grow my music licensing company, I met so many incredible people, but it was never quite the right fit. And then on LinkedIn, I was connected to a couple people and it was really the right thing. And from there, I now have a team of people who I don't know where I would be without them, but it's so, so, so helpful. Go to linkedin.com slash dream job and get $50 toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash dream job for $50 off today. Terms and conditions apply. You guys, my husband is obsessed with Ring. I love it because when I'm out, I can see from my phone if somebody's knocking on the door, if they're leaving an Amazon package. My husband is obsessed. He's constantly looking at it, seeing what's going on outside. If there's anything that sounds a little bit funky, he can just, from the comfort of his own bed, he can look through the Ring camera and see anything that's going on. It really creates a level of security and safety around your home like you wouldn't believe. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you're gonna get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. That's thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. You guys are going to love this. Just go to ring.com slash dreamjob. That's ring.com slash dreamjob. You had talked about, and you said that you weren't sure if you still think this is true, but I've heard you say it on a couple different places that possibly an hmm. MFA, it could be that those skills are even more important sometimes than business skills. And you've talked about so beautifully how empathy and artistry and being creative, those are such valuable skills. And at times it could be more valuable than linear or logical thinking. Totally. And so I want to talk about that for a second because it's so important what you just said to logically and strategically leave your job. And I've talked to people about how do you then as a creative balance uh, having your artistry, but then testing your idea, making sure that you yeah. have an audience for that blog before you leave, making sure that people like those cupcakes before you leave to open that shop and nobody's coming. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about this for a second. How you feel about those qualities in creative people and why those are so important, and then also what creative people maybe need to keep in mind about how to test an idea so that it's also a viable business. Great. So I haven't written a book about this as well. The reason I say that is that the book's title gives us a clue about how to do this. And the book is called A Whole New Mind. A Whole New Mind. I want to emphasize the whole there, mm-hmm. W-H-O-L-E. Um, the argument of that book in brief is this, that certain kinds of abilities that once were central to getting people into the middle class, uh, abilities that these logical, linear sequential kinds of abilities, abilities that are metaphorically, if not scientifically, left brain abilities, SAT and spreadsheet abilities. Those kinds of abilities today are still absolutely necessary. You have to have them, but they're no longer sufficient. And the reason for that is that those kinds of abilities are very easy to outsource, very easy to automate, and less essential in a world where there's so much material abundance and there's a premium on creating something new. So those kinds of abilities are being devalued uh, by some pretty powerful economic forces. Those same powerful economic forces, for now at least, are actually putting new a, a new premium on skills that are harder to outsource and automate. Uh, and those end up being these more metaphorically right brain skills, artistry, empathy, inventiveness, big picture thinking. Mm-hmm. Those are harder, not impossible, harder to outsource yeah. and, and automate. Yeah. So as a consequence, those kinds of abilities are becoming more important than in some level they are becoming the abilities that are the first among equals. Mm-hmm. So I think for some very hard headed reasons, those kinds of superficially soft hearted qualities are becoming more urgent economically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you have those abilities, and many creatives do, that is the beginning of the conversation. 
not the end of it. Because remember, we have a whole new mind. And so I tell every creative person, every person with an MFA especially, you are not allowed to run out of the room in fear, to run out of the classroom in fear if somebody puts a number on the whiteboard, mm. all right? You must steal yourself into your chair and pay attention to that number. You have to be numerate. You have to be able. So I would have every creative person take accounting. I would have every creative person take basic economics. I mean, I think every human being has to take economics 101. Yep. But even on a more trade skill level, I would have every creative person take accounting. Mm -hmm. uh, because your numbers freaking have, I don't care how creative you are, your numbers have to add up. You have to have more coming in the door than going out the yep. door. And so, you know, even though I do think that people with these artistic, empathic, big picture skills have skills that are, you know, over time going to be very much in demand, it doesn't mean that they can forego all the other yeah. things. There's a lot of really super interesting research on this. But one of, to me, one of the most interesting things is the research started literally, what, like 50 years ago now, 40, 50 years ago, by, uh, in part by a fellow named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who is famous for his concept of flow. He was a, a social psychologist at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did some research with a colleague of his about the difference between problem solving and problem finding. And what I think is happening right now is that problem solving has become commoditized, leaving people who are in the creative profession to be problem finders. So if a customer or client knows precisely what its problem mm -hmm. is, they don't need you all that much. At some level, they need you to be one of two or three bidders to drive down the price. But you're more valuable as a creator, as a business person, if your client or customer is wrong about their problem, as clients and customers often are. They don't know what their problem is. They, they've made a mistake about what their problem is. And so the real premium is on the skill of problem finding. Can you detect the latent mm -hmm. problem? Can you surface hidden problems? Can you see around corners for problems they didn't anticipate? That's really cool. That's really where all the action is. That's amazing. And that you know, it's a perfect setup for the last thing that I wanted to ask you because you've written so much. I can't believe how many books you've written, honestly. Like, I don't know how many lifetimes you've lived to write all Six. <laughs> um, but it's amazing. And so I just wanted to touch on this because it, it's exactly where you just left off. Um, I've often felt that ultimately selling something to someone is really solving a problem for them, figuring out what you're Mm -hmm. clients problems are right so you wrote this book called to sell is human and we have to touch on it because so many people on the show one of the biggest limitations that they have this story that selling makes them sleazy they don't want to put a number on something uh. ah i love that you just said ah so um what can you teach us about how to get out of that headspace and actually change it so that we can understand other people's perspectives and solve their problems so there are a couple of things going on here, and one of them is that this idea that selling is somehow inherently sleazy and duplicitous is, is nonsense. It's a legacy of a certain structure in the economy, and the structure is information asymmetry. Almost everything we know about selling, persuasion, influence has come from a world of information asymmetry, where the seller always had more information than the buyer. Mm. When the seller has more information than the buyer, the seller can take the low road. When the seller has more information than the buyer, the, the seller can rip you off. When the seller has more information than the buyer, the buyer doesn't have many choices. The buyer doesn't have a way to talk right. back. The seller has a huge edge. Uh, this is why we have encoded in our laws, encoded in our customs of commerce, the principle of buyer beware. Mm. That's all about information yeah, asymmetry. Wow. But here's the thing, and we haven't wrapped our minds around yet, is that we are living in a world of information asymmetry less and less and less and less and less and less and less. We are moving closer, not perfectly, to a world of information parity, where buyers have lots of choices, lots of um, information, and lots of ways to talk back. That has even the scales a little mm. bit. That, to my mind, is a world of seller beware. Now, the sellers are mm. on notice. And as a consequence, it's a really bad idea to take the low road. Not only is it bad morally, it's just not going to mm -hmm. work, or at least for very mm -hmm. long. And so what you have to do is you have to take the higher road. And the higher road, we know from the social science, is about these, these new ABCs. Uh, not always be closing ABCs, but the ABCs, these personal qualities that are necessary to flourish in this new world. Uh, attunement. Can you take someone else's perspective? Buoyancy. Can you stay afloat in this ocean of rejection? Mm. 
clarity? Can you go from accessing information to curating it? And as we were talking about before, from problem solving to problem finding. And so the way to be effective in selling actually today in a world of information parity is to actually act like a human being. And so they should disabuse themselves of this notion that selling is sleazy, duplicitous. It's not. At one point, it risked being that way. But the underlying conditions for that have changed markedly. The other thing is that, you know, and I'll put a very fine point on this, is that if you have something that you think benefits the world, I think you have a moral obligation to try to bring it to oh, more people. that's good. If you have something that's so extraordinary, a solution, uh, an idea, a piece of software, a design that is going to make a material difference in people's lives, I'm sorry, you don't have the luxury of sitting around waiting for people to come and knock on your door. you got to go out and tell people about oh my it. God. Not only for your own economic solvency, but I actually think you have a moral obligation to the planet to tell us about it if it's that great. That is so powerful. And I am... Uh, I, I will be repeating that and going back to that. And that gives so many people such permission and reminds them that they have value and purpose and, and they shouldn't be apologizing for, for wanting to create something. That, Absolutely. Yeah. And, I'll, and I don't think it's permission. I'm going to see your permission and raise you obligation. Mm. You know, that's what it yeah. is. You talk about how we we need to understand other people's perspectives, and that's how we can take the high road and how important that is. And you talk about three rules for for doing that. How do we do that? T teach us how to do that so that when we're when we're contacting somebody, we're doing it from a place of being able to really be in their shoes and help them from where they are. It really depends on a number of different factors. but so so one thing is that when we feel powerful, we're not very good perspective takers. Mm. And so when we're in a one-up position, we're, when we're bossing people around, uh, we tend to be pretty bad perspective takers, and that really undermines bosses. So a lot of bosses fail because they're, they're bad perspective takers. Uh. Uh, and one reason they're bad perspective takers is that they feel too powerful. So one thing to do is put a check on your feelings of power, which will improve the acuity of your perspective taking. That's often less of an issue for small operations. Um, the other thing is perspective taking isn't all about emotional intelligence and empathy. It's partly about that. But it's also understanding your clients or to some extent your boss's uh, interests. What's in it for them? Uh, and so perspective taking is as much head as heart. Um, and this is particularly true when you're persuading up. Uh, when you're persuading up, you should try to focus on people's emotions and, and their thoughts and interests. But if you have to jettison one, I would jettison, I think the research tells us, to jettison emotions that focus on thoughts and interests. And so it isn't simply about saying, oh, is this person happy or sad? Mm -hmm. But it's about saying, okay, what's in this person's interests? One of the other things is something that surprised me until I went into the research, things like mimicry. One way that we attune to other people, one way that we understand other people's perspectives is if we take their posture, share their gestures, repeat their language. Mm -hmm. That mimicry, which sounds duplicitous, is the research on this is not even a close call, is fundamentally part of what it is to be a human being, that human beings are natural mimickers. And so if we pay a little bit more attention to that, if we consciously change our posture or our gesture to match the people we're talking to, it's not duplicity. It actually is a mechanism that allows us to understand their perspective more, more closely. And so those three broad principles can be powerful in improving our powers of attunement. I mean, I could literally talk to you for days. You've added so much insight to the world. Like you, you clearly are doing well, what thanks. you're supposed to be doing. And um, this was so rich and we, we only got like little pieces of all of it. So everybody must go read your books and um, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, I've got a website, believe it or not. It's danpink.com, <laughs> D-A-N-P-I-N-K.com, D-A-N-P-I-N-K.com. Uh, there's information about the books. There's a free email newsletter. There's a short video series I do called Pink Casts. Uh, there's some resources there, all kinds of great stuff. That's awesome. And I just wanted to give you the opportunity because I've been asking all these questions and you've been so generous. If you wanted to say something right now, I wanted to just give you the floor for a minute. Is there anything that you want to say to those people listening right now that we didn't touch on? Maybe just something that you're just thinking might help. What I would say to these people is get to work. Get your butt in the chair and do your work. Stop navel-gazing, that working and working hard is an elixir for many things. 
And uh, what I've found is that one way to overcome those kinds of feelings is to stop thinking and just get to work. Do your stuff. Don't sit around waiting for inspiration. That doesn't, the world doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. uh, inspiration will strike you when you're at your desk or at your easel or wherever it is you do your work. Show up. Show up the next day. Do great work. Show up again. And don't give as much thought to what other people think. That's awesome. I really love that. I, I do feel like people have said that the clarity, it comes from the action. So if you want more momentum and right. if you even want to know what you want to do, it, it comes one from One of the doing. most foolish things that quote unquote creative people can do, one of the most counterproductive boneheaded things that they can do is wait to be inspired before they get to work. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. You've got the sequence all wrong. If you go on waiting to be inspired until you get to work, you're going to be like millions of people who haven't contributed their gifts to the planet. Well, clearly you, you've practiced what you've preached because you've written so many books and that takes so much. You have to generate energy on your own. And I'm sure you have your days where you hit a wall and you keep going. Heck yeah. Most days. <laughs> like most days I hit a wall, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Well, well, clearly it's working. Something you're doing, you're doing right. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for adding all of this. And we're going to keep uh, enjoying all the great stuff you're putting out in the world. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on the program. It's been fun, Kathy. Okay, so wasn't that amazing? Seriously, we could have had like a whole episode for each one of his books because they're jam-packed with so many juicy revelations. Here are some takeaways. Number one, being your own boss doesn't mean every day is full of rainbows and unicorns, but compared to having a day job, it's so worth it. Number two, know what hours are your time to shine. Do the analytical work during your peak hours, the admin work during the trough, and let the creative juices flow in the recovery period. Number three, don't wait for temporal landmarks to make your move. Start planning now. Number four, quitting your job is not a wild leap. It's a hard-headed strategic decision, so take calculated risks. Number five, there's a premium on creating something new, on having empathy, on being a problem finder instead of a problem solver. Number six, don't run when you see a number. Every creative also needs a basic understanding of accounting and economics to be in business. Number seven, the best way to sell is just to be a human being. Number eight, if you have something that can benefit the world, it's your moral obligation to put it out there. And number nine, don't wait for inspiration to strike. Get your butt in the chair and get to work. Okay, a couple other announcements. We're going to have another episode on Thursday this week, like we do every week now, to talk about your wins and your questions. So please go ahead and reach out to me with anything you want us to share. If there's been something cool happening for you and you want us to talk about it, you can DM me on Instagram at kathy.heller or post it in our Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group or email us at hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. Also, we've set up a voicemail number. If you want a chance to hear your voice on the show, you can call 323-736-1826 and leave us a voicemail. And lastly, we still have a few seats left for our workshop. It's going to be two amazing days filled with inspiration, October 4th and 5th at the Hudson Theater in LA. You can go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com slash workshop and use the code dreamjob20 to get 20% off your seats. You can find the link also in the show notes here. I love you guys to pieces. Thank you so much for sharing the show with your friends. Thank you for reviewing the podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and tell someone you know. Just say, hey, you know, there's a super cool podcast I found. I really think you should take a listen. Last words of inspiration for today, you guys. It was so, so inspiring to hear Daniel Pink say that it's our obligation. If you have something beautiful that you can make with your hands, if you have something beautiful to say, if you have information to share, if you have something inside of you that you want to give to this world, stop apologizing. You're not being duplicitous to put it out there or to want to get paid for that yoga class or to want to get paid for that pottery. It's your obligation. You want other people to get to have this. If you feel like it's going to make their day better or brighter, or it's going to add something delicious or inspiring to their world, it's your obligation. I thought that was so important. I'm so glad he said it. I hope that you will do something when you feel inspired like this. I hope that you will turn it into action. And remember, make the messy version. Go make the messy version today of that chapter or write that song or send that email and start because you are so much closer than you think. I want you to expand your comfort zone. I want you to keep seeing it in your head and I want you to keep feeling that you can handle more success. And I want you to keep seeing yourself being successful and feeling how good that's going to feel to do these things and to do them well and to share what you have with the world. I'll be back here next Thursday. If you got something to say, come on over and share it with me on Instagram. 
Also, if you're a songwriter, I'm doing an eight-day songwriting challenge. It starts today. It's going to be going on for eight days. If you want to learn how to write music for music and TV and you want to break into that, um, you can go ahead and find more information about that at Catch the Moon Music's Facebook page. That's my business, Catch the Moon Music. That's my music licensing business. And uh, I just wanted to say that because if you're a songwriter, that's going to be eight days of inspiration from me and my team on the music side teaching you how to break into music. So you can go ahead and look for that there. And I'll put a I'll put a link to that also in the show notes. All right, you guys are the best. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. Calling my-